Amen. Uh, thank you all this morning. Uh, we're starting a new sermon series. Uh, but I want to go back and kind of look at what we've been looking at. Uh, we ended up last month with talking about uh, let us be the church. And we looked at the church in Acts. And if you look at the church in Acts, you think, man, they were just on fire. And yes, they were. And it's because their lives were, had been radically changed by coming in contact with a God who just gave them everything they ever wanted. And so, you know, we discussed on how we need to be the church again. And if you look at that, for far too long we've let things like, and I'm not saying these are bad things, but what, what happens the majority of the time is we, we get so caught up in those, these type of things that we don't deviate from them. We let programs, committees, and then we become this legalistic thing where as long as we've got check boxes and as long as we can have a list to go, yeah, I came to church, yeah, I read my little, little scripture that came up on on my phone this morning. Yeah, I said grace, so that's my prayer. Check, got it all. I'm good. We've let these things do that until we've drained the Holy Spirit out of our churches. And we need to be reminded that the early church was tenacious, okay? They were not this little sissified church. They did not cower. You know, when Stephen was stoned, that gave them power. They were like, all right, he's with Jesus. We're moving on. We're, we're ready to go. And they were excited. They were excited because, you know, you go and, I, and I'm moving out of Acts and into uh, Paul, which, you know, uh, into Philippians when he says, you know, I count it all joy. And so he talked about these things that he's, he's like, I'm joyous in my trials. They were excited to go through stuff. When we go through stuff, what do we say? Oh, woe is me. God, why did you do this? God, I thought you loved me. I know. I was there Monday. And you, well, you were there Monday? You're a preacher. Yeah, I am. I'm human. And so, you know, I'm like, we've got to be excited about going through stuff. We've got to be excited about this, this Jesus that we have in our hearts or this Jesus that we talk about. Matter of fact, we don't even talk about Him anymore. When is a, when, think about yourself. When is the last time other than church that you've had a conversation with somebody about Jesus? That's all they did. That's their, their conversation. I bet you people got so tired of them. I bet you they were like, dude, can, Matthew, can you shut up about Jesus? I asked you how the weather was. And you're like, the sun's always shining. I bet they were like, can you stop? But there was something inside of them that, they, that, 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 that had this fire because they remember being called. I'm sure Matthew looking in the crowd and, and Jesus says, come follow me. And he's like, me? Do you know who I am? People hate me here. 
And Jesus is still like, yeah, and so what? I loved you first before they hated you. And so they were like, let's go. Today, we care more about converts than we do disciples. Churches do not have a problem with bringing others to know Christ. They don't. The problem lies is that we fail to make disciples out of them. And the reason that the early church was able to spread like a wildfire is because they were unified. They may have, you know, like in, in the chosen, you see that, that, that Peter and, and Matthew, you know, hated one another. But they were still able to, after Pentecost, able to put aside all of that where Matthew came from and be unified in, 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 in spreading the gospel. They, were, they had one purpose, and that was spreading the gospel. Everything else didn't matter. Today, there is more fighting, more bickering, more backbiting in churches that people cannot tell the difference between the world and Jesus. You look at the new church, or the early church, as I call it, they were able to reach, teach, and elevate because they were friends in fellowship. Girls, what y'all did last night, that's what it means to be friends in fellowship. What we did with Cameron and Caitlin, that's friends in fellowship. When you don't want to leave church till 9 o'clock and I have to go, go home, go home, go home. That's friends in fellowship. That's growing a bond. That's growing that when Satan comes to attack us, you're like, no, we, we've got too much of a bond. We can't do it. No. Sorry, Satan. You know, I better go to the church down the road because you can't come here. Amen. Their lives revolved around the church. My father used to tell stories all the time that they didn't go anywhere else. This was it. This was where they came, came to. This was where they played. This was where they cleaned the church. This was where they did all the stuff. The church was their life. And it's the reason that we stand here 103 years. It's because the church became their life. Now, understand this, y'all. I'm not saying that you got to live every waking moment here at the church. No. you got lives. you got stuff. But sometimes we get too caught up in the stuff that, that fades away and we forget about the eternal stuff. We're partners, y'all. And this whole thing, we're partners. We have an enterprise together and and if we don't put in the work, it will dissolve. Which is why the raging fire that they started is now just a flicker. The early church was powerful because they experienced the power of God. And I want you to understand something this morning when we talk about that, and I didn't say it in my message. But so can we. We still have the ability to plug into the power of God as long as we have open hearts and open minds. He will fill it with the power and He will allow you to reach, teach, and elevate in a way that the world will take a look And so, as they did the early church. Because you know the early church, the world was like, what is going on with these people? And I can promise you, if you plug into the power of God, Boniface will go, what is wrong with those people? They are like, Oh, they're like a wildfire. Amen. But I want to tell you this. Pentecost, 
comes, and we're all excited about Pentecost. Boy, we want that Holy Spirit. Whoo, yeah, we want it. But with Pentecost comes persecution. And a lot of us are not ready for that. I want to tell you, just as I told you Wednesday night, do not let Satan rob your joy. Don't. Don't. In the midst of all your journeys, whatever you're going through, I have no idea. I'm going through my own stuff. But as I said Wednesday night, and I've had time to talk about it because I was cooking yesterday, and I was doing a bunch of stuff, and my dad was like, son, go sit down. Son, go sit down. You're wore out. And I turned to him, and I said, kind of in a, I, his head went kind of back when I said it because I said it louder than I ought, what I anticipated. But I was like, this is not going to beat me. That's the attitude I've got to have. This is not going to beat me. This is not going to define who I am. I'm tired of letting it define me. This is not going to beat me. If I, if, I, if I get tired, I get tired. I need to draw strength from God. This is not... No, this No. And the reason that the early church were able to fight off Satan is that they had the power of God. Amen. So, again, church, as we begin to move off into another sermon series, let us be the church. Let us be the church and stop trying to quiet the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now today we begin a new sermon and it's called... It's called Paradoxes of the Bible. And it's, it's, I'm excited about it because sometimes you read the Bible. Yes, even when I read the Bible. I, I often scratch my head at some of the statements Jesus made. Because you don't quite understand what he's talking about. And so we begin that today. And what we're going to look at is that, um, let me open up my tablet. Oh God, there we go. Is that it almost as if he says the opposite of what he means. It's like, like the weak become strong. What? What does that even mean? And like we read that and we get confused as to what he's talking about. And, and, and the reason that Jesus spoke in parables and paradoxes is that, you know, and, and now, right now, you're thinking, what the heck is he talking about? Jeffrey said parables and paradoxes. What does that even mean? Okay, so a parable is a story, and it has a spiritual meaning, and a paradox is, is a contradictory statement that goes against common sense. And Jesus is, is, is the master teacher of that. And he unwraps these spiritual truths and to anyone that will listen. And the reason he talks that is because he's trying to urge people to think deeper. Stop judging by mere appearances and judge correctly. He wants them to remember that what he told them to is to mull it over in their minds and, and think about it deeply. And he's making a firm decision based on this transformating truth that there is. And Jesus' whole purpose behind speaking in paradoxes is for us to dig down deeper and study His Word and have this deeper desire to follow Him. And those that didn't have a desire to follow Him, those that didn't have a desire to grow deeper, just said, I have no idea what He's talking about, and it confirmed their unbelief in Him. 
the whole world looks at the Bible and God as this confusing, as this cruel and unloving deity that talks out of both sides of his mouth. But if we would just live it out as we're supposed to, maybe the world would see the beauty of being last to be first. The greatness of serving and being weak in order for us to be strong. And it all starts with us. Because they have done shut their hearts and done shut their minds to His teaching. But, I say this but, if us, the Bible, because I understand this, y'all, we, point to yourself and say, I. I. One more time. You are the only Bible that the world will ever see. Let me say that again. You are the only Bible that the world will ever see. They're not going to pick it up. Matter of fact, half of them probably own one, but it's got so much dust on it that you could make another person. They're not going to pick it up. So what they know about serving, they know from you. What they know about being, being last to be first, they know from you. What they know about humility, they learn from you. What they learn about you know, being, living godly lives, they learn from you. What they learn about struggling, but yet it's okay to struggle, it's okay to have problems in your life, they learn from you. If we would just live out, live it out amongst people. Quit trying to hide the Bible. You walk around, I bet sometimes they have to pull out of you that you're a Christian. I bet they have to pull out that you, you, you're, you're a follower of, of Jesus. That should be the first thing people know about you. And matter of fact, sometimes you shouldn't even have to tell them, but it's by how we live our life. And if we will live it out, we can reach this world for Jesus. And, and, and I know there's a song that, that talks about even so come, Lord Jesus come. And I, I love that song. But sometimes I sing it and I'm like, don't come. Do not come because I have family members that I have been so lazy to talk to them about Jesus that they're going to die and go to hell. I have co-workers that I have been so scared of what what people will say about me that I have, I have not talked to them about Jesus. I have acquaintances in, in Bonifay that don't know about Jesus and if they come, they will die and go to hell and I don't want anybody to go to hell. I say, Lord, if you can hold off, hold off a little longer. I know it's bad, but if we would all do what we're supposed to do, it would be a different situation. And for the next couple months, we're going to look at some paradoxes of Jesus. And my hope, my hope through all this, because I am not a scholar, I can tell you that. Uh, the only reason I got a master's degree was because it was online. It was. <laughs> and you could, you could use other devices to get your answers. I'm just saying, hey, you do what you got to do. I'm not a smart individual, and so when you look at some of these things, I may get them wrong, and you may come up and go, that was wrong. Well, just go with it. But my hope is that we will take some of these complicated 
statements and we'll understand what they mean. And the whole, my whole goal behind this is to better equip you. It's to when you open that Bible and somebody says, yeah, well, what did Jesus mean by this? You can say, this is what he meant by it. This is what he meant by it. Because I want you to share Jesus easy. I want you to be able to talk about him in the midst of somebody's problem. And I want you to do that to a world that is quickly pushing him out. And our first sermon is talking about the paradox, that, that the truth that breaks the rules. And Jesus says you must lose your life to save it. But what, what does that mean? Well, today we're going to find out. So if you would, turn with me to Mark 8. Mark 8. We're going to start in verse 34. Now again, I have the NIV version, um, um, NLT version, so it might be a little different. But Mark 8, 34, it says, Then calling the crowd to join His disciples, He said, If any of you wants to be My follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow Me. But if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for My sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. And what you do, you benefit if you, you gain and what do you do if you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is there is anything worth more than your soul? I found this on the web for oh God. what do you do if you're Oh God. Oh God. Go away. Okay, sorry, I apologize. If anyone is ashamed of me. And my message is, in these adulterous and sinful days, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when He returns of His glory of His Father with the holy angels. Would you pray with me? Dear God, we just thank You for today. God, I just pray that You would take out all the stuff that, that is trying to, to push us away from hearing this message. And I pray that You would have, allow us to have open hearts and open minds. God, I pray that, that we would just dig into what this paradox means and we'd be able to understand it. God, if anybody does not know You as their Lord and Savior, God, I pray that through the midst of this message, You will, you will touch their heart and allow them to, to want to make the, 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 the decision to come down here and accept You in, in their life. In Jesus' name, Amen. So, what does that even mean? He goes and he talks about, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life, you will save it. What? What? Well, first, you've got to talk about giving up you. Because <laughs> real life is giving it for Jesus. And it's our nature to protect and preserve our life. And we do that, with, we do that by insulating our, ourselves against pain. And we put up walls so that we do not feel anything. We don't want to feel hardships. We don't want to feel lost. That's why we buy extra life insurance. Or we put a little extra money aside for emergency funds. It's because we never want to have to feel those things. That's why we look at, at rates before we buy a house. 
That's why we lock our doors at night. It's our natural inclination to, to not want to have anything bad happen to us. Yet Jesus, His call is very radical in the sense that He's trying to stretch us to think beyond our, our selfishly pursuits and, and comfort and avoid sacrifice. Now I want to tell you something. That type of living that Jesus is talking about is very counterculture. Because our world is all about what? Who? What is it? Self. Self. Yes. And the problem where it starts is we've allowed it to come into the church and rob us. More than ever, people in the church are thinking, okay, church, give me. Give me. Instead of, what can I do for the kingdom? Our world says, do what's best for you, boo, to heck with everybody else. Jesus, is, is His vision is for our good and His glory requires us to deny ourselves of, of comforts for the sake of following Him. It means denying yourself and your wants, your desires, for the sake of Him and the sake of others. In Acts 21, we get this kind of picture of what it means. And now, now Paul... Paul is, is, is the one saying this. And, and I want to tell you, it says several days later, Acts 21 in verse 10, it says several days later a man named Agabus who was, uh, had a gift of prophecy arrived from Judea. And he came over and he took Paul's belt and bound his own hands and feet. And he said, The Holy Spirit declares, so shall the owner of this belt, he's talking about Paul, will be bound by the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem and turned over to the Gentiles. Now what's happening here is Paul is getting ready to go to Jerusalem to preach the gospel. And a lot of people are don't, do not want him to go. Well, Paul is like, that's where God told me to go. I'm going. And this guy comes over and he goes over to Paul and he takes his belt off, which I thought was kind of weird. Um, you come up to somebody and you take their belt off? And he bound his hands and feet and says, look, Whoever owns this belt, talking about Paul, when you go to Jerusalem, you're going to be bound. And when he heard this, we and the local believers all begged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. So when they heard this, all the people around Paul are like, dude, do not go. Stay here. Stay out of Jerusalem. And I want you to listen to Paul's tenaciousness and Paul's unwillingness to say, yeah, you're right. I don't want to be bound. But he said, why, are you, why all this weeping? You're breaking my heart. I am ready not only to be jailed in Jerusalem, but even to die for the sake of the Lord Jesus. Man, Paul said, I do not care about myself. What am I? A mere human? What is this gospel transformation? He didn't care. Because Paul had understood the art of losing yourself and bringing God praise. And that's a worship song that I, I listened to yesterday. I listened to two while doing this message on repeat. Uh, and the one of them was from the inside out. And 
It has a line in it that gets me every time. Every time I hear it, I'm just like, whoa. And it says, the, the art of losing myself and bringing you praise. There's such a fine art in losing ourselves. It's because it's a struggle. Now understand this, y'all. We, you probably will never experience what Paul and the disciples experienced. The, the, the martyrism and the beatings and, the, and, and, and all the persecution. You probably, we'll probably never experience that unless the world goes to hell in a handbasket really quickly and it's going, but not, not, not that quick. But practically, practically, y'all think about it practically. It means giving up those good things that pleases us. It means like less time at work. Because I know there's men in the world, there's men in churches, that they're all about how much money I can make. All much about the, the, the materialism. And y'all, it, it's, it's, it's wonderful to have a job to support your family. But it's another thing to deny what Jesus is asking you to do in your life because you are addicted to that job. Less time at watching TV. Well, that's me. <laughs> oh, that's me. That's my thing. Man. And it's cooking shows. It's cooking shows. I'm talking about diners, drive-ins, and dives. Woo! Beat Bobby Flay. Love it. I'm addicted. There's a problem when we do that versus helping others in need. It could mean stepping out of your comfort zone to talk to a stranger. You know, last night, Dave Pettigrew at our worship thing was talking about his nephew that was addicted to heroin and he lost his battle. But he said in there, he said, we're all addicted to something. Whether you want to admit it or not, you're addicted to something. You're addicted to, to your phone, your job, Netflix, or, or just whatever the case may be, and we're, we're all like there, there's no room for Jesus because we filled it with something other than Him. And it's taking yourself out of the equation and putting the focus on building the kingdom. And it's a fight. Y'all, it is a fight. Every day you have to, to surrender to yourself and put the kingdom and others ahead for the sake of the gospel. And Luke 9, 24 and 25, Jesus says this. He says, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And I love this part. This is a great Toby Mac song, by the way. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you yourself are lost or destroyed? So what Jesus is saying in that part in Luke is He's saying, what good is it going to do you to accomplish everything and get everything this world has to offer? Yeah, you may be on easy street. Yeah, people may look at you and go, huh, look at Jeffrey. He's got it, don't he? 
He's made it. But what good does that get me when I draw my last breath? We are so caught up in this world. And I don't mean in a good way. I mean in the way that we're caught up and we want to be like the world. We want to have our cake and eat it too. You know, yeah, we want to live like the world, but on Sunday we want to (laughs) praise Him. Praise Him. Praise Him. Where is the Monday through Saturday? Where is that kind of living? So you, you may be asking me, okay, what does it take to what does it take to to lose your life but save it? What does it take? It takes you got to always stay humble. To be humble is to realize how weak you are, how helpless you are to to change the course of your life. And the the only thing that's going to do that is for God and for His forgiveness and for His trust to come into our life. That's what He wants to see in our hearts. Is we're humble. That's why Jesus came humble. He wants us to realize and He wants us to confess our helplessness and our complete need for Him. If you do not know that you need Jesus every moment of every day, you don't know Jesus. Regardless of the depth of the flaw, Jesus is never going to reject you that comes to know Him. Come to Him with a humble spirit and and humbly serve those around us. In our society, this trait is so hard to live because the world sees humbleness as weakness. And it's almost like it's a flaw. It's almost like the world goes, well, you're humble. (laughs) You're not strong. Today, we're so afraid to show humility because you're afraid that people are going to go, Do you see what he needed? He needed help. He needed others to pray for him. Well, he couldn't do it himself. I'm going to tell you what humbleness will do. It will promote this infectious love of God. And it proclaims Jesus as our Savior. Humility rescues relationships. It wins the respect of those that were previously disappointed in you. And it earns the listening ear of an unsaved people that surround you. It enriches marriages. Yes, I've humbly had to go to my wife and say, baby, would you forgive me? But it's enriched our marriage. And it leads into ever-increasing hope rising from the Word of God that we find when we turn those Scriptures. What do we see? We see Jesus being humble, but He was also showing us hope. Humility puts others first. It listens even when, when shutting off would be easier. And sometimes you just want to go and you just don't want people to talk to you. And you don't want to talk to people. You just want to go in your little, little world and you just want to do it. But humility says, I need to listen to that person. It accepts the person even while simultaneously rejecting the sin. It welcomes, it embraces, it's grateful for every morsel of time that you have. Humility refuses to fight for position or authority. It knows when to bow down, step backwards in order to express and promote the character of Christ. 
regardless of how unjust it may be, or how much you want to dig your toes in and say, let me tell you something. Humility is a giver. It's a pacifier. It strives to, to unite in truth. It's gracious, even when, even when in spite would come naturally. It's patient because it trusts the sovereignty of God. Even when sometimes it's not easy to understand. Whatever you're going through in your life, I can tell you, you're probably thinking, I don't know what he's got for my life. Join the crowd. But I'm, I humbly want to come and say, whatever, whatever the cost may be, God, whatever your will is, I'm ready for it. Because I know that through anything in my life, God wants to use it for the glory of Him. This last scripture that we're going to talk about comes from Philippians. Philippians 3. Philippians 2, 3, sorry. Philippians 2, 3. And it, and it says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Well, that's always been my fault. I've always tried to keep up with the Joneses. But the Joneses may be trying to get all the material life here. What am I trying to do? Huh? I'm trying to get eternal security. Be humble. Thinking of others better as better as better than yourself, as better than yourself. Not just as yourself, but better. You are here, others are here. Don't look out, don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. So it's always about staying humble. I'm trying to hurry y'all, but it's also about taking up your cross. The cross doesn't always mean following him to be a missionary in Liberia. <laughs> Now, if that's what God has called you to do, by all means, Taylor will hook you up with a plane ticket. It's not following him in, into politics. It's not, it's not doing all any of that unless God calls you. Because our cross is His cross. Jesus, He took that cross to Golgotha. And what did He do? He died for our sins. And Jesus spiritually wants you to take up that cross and die to yourselves and follow Him wherever He asks you to go and whatever He asks you to do. Now I'm going to tell you something. Taking up your cross hurts because it brings us to a place of God dependence. And, you know, and we struggle to do that. It takes time. You and I are not perfect and the crosses are heavy and God says, I know the cross is heavy. I carried it. He uses the cross as a way to melt out the impurities in your life until you look, until we look more like Jesus. And he takes, and that takes time. And, and self-crucifixion is not possible. And it's God's work, not ours. Stop trying to figure out how God and when God intends to do work in your life and just be ready. We're all different, and He custom makes a plan for each one of us. 
If we were all going through the same plan, we would not get a lot done. Some need more processing than others. Huh? Yep. Some simply needs to just bend. Others he has to break and put back together. And the amount of processing is a reflection of the work that he has for you to accomplish. Some are called to be martyred in Pakistan. Some are called to be missionaries in Liberia. But every one of us is called to a church. Others are called to take care of babies in the nursery, and we have an opening right now. We can feel it. Obviously, whatever the case may be, every one of those things are needed. How he applies the cross to one group is going to be different from the other. I want to close with this this morning. The opening song you heard for my intro was called The Strength to Let Go. And Taylor sent that song to me in a time when I think I first found out that I needed to go on dialysis and I was not happy about it. Again, shocking. <laughs> and it's by my favorite group, Switchfoot, and I listened to that song and it says, give me the strength to let go. Give me the, the strength to surrender. And how are you going to live this paradox in your life to, to, to lose your life but yet save it? I know that's so weird. But what, what you've got to do is you've got to have the strength to let go. And this paradox is a tough one. Understand that we must lose us in order to save it. Gosh, how do we do it? By letting go. Just saying, okay God, I can't do this. I'm tired of holding on to my life. I'm tired of being the one that's in charge of everything. I let go. I'm going all in so that I can follow you. I know you're telling me right now in your mind. I can feel it. I can feel it. You're saying easier said than done. Yeah, it is. Those words are really easy for me to say. But we as a church and individuals need to pray for the strength to let go. To rid us of ourselves and be filled with Jesus. To be humble. To be willing to serve. To carry our cross wherever He asks. In your lives, even as Christians, we often ask. We often ask this question. I ask it. I ask it every day. I ask it probably more than more than one time a day. I ask, so why would God want me? Why would Jesus want us to follow him? And if I can say this word, we're screw ups. We live our lives like diets. We're good for a little while and then cake comes along. We live, our, we live for God until that sin comes along or that self shines brighter than, than Jesus does. I want to tell you something. I heard another song that gripped me more than anything. It's by Hillsong United. And we're going to listen to it in just a minute but He loves us as He finds us. And I want to read the lyrics to that this morning. That's how I want to close today. 
and says, I've been strong and I've been broken within a moment. I've been faithful and I've been reckless at every bend. I've held everything together and I've watched it shatter. And I have stood and I have crumbled in the same breath. I have wrestled and I have trembled towards surrender. I've chased my heart adrift and, and drifted home again. Plundered blessings till I, I've been desperate to find redemption. And every time I turn around, Lord, You're still there. I was found before I was lost. I was Yours before I was not. Grace despair for all my mistakes. The part that just gets me. And that part just wrecks me. And I, I know I don't deserve this kind of love. Somehow this kind of love is who you are. It's a grace I could never add up to be somebody you still want. But somehow you love me as you find me. Who am I to think your glory needs my praises? But if this borrowed breath is yours, Lord, take it all. You are faithful and you are grateful and I'm just grateful to think you don't need a single thing and still you want my heart. Wow. That's tough, ain't it? Love, you, love me as He finds me. That's what this paradox is talking about. He's telling you, push your old self aside. Die to it. Take it to the cross. Carry that cross up there to Golgotha. Put your old self on it. Nail those nails in it just like he, he, he was done. Lift it high and watch your old self just die. Let it go. Let it go to... Let it go to the tomb, but let it come back out as you a different person, as you a new creation in Christ. One who's ready to, 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 to show humility. Who's ready to serve. Who's ready to go wherever God calls him, to do whatever God calls him. To do. That's the paradox. That's the truth that breaks the rules. Would you stand with me?